You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always, to the end of the age. Well, friends, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm the pastor here. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 28. We are in uh, part three of four of a series called Go, where we are diving deep into one passage of Scripture. It's, it's a very famous passage of Scripture called the Great Commission. As we unpack this, uh, these words that Jesus speaks about the work that we are called to do together. And, and here's why we're doing this, this series I arrived July 1st as your new pastor, and over the last eight weeks, or eight weeks past that, I should say, I did a a listening tour. I I met with well over 200 people from the church in 19 different sessions, met in living rooms, and I met in Sunday school classes here at the church, and uh, we asked questions of the congregation of of the same questions each time of of their experience, of your experience in the church, and hopes and dreams of the church, and at the end, I always uh, open it up for whatever questions the group might have for me, and almost all the groups asked me the same question to start with, which was this, Spencer, what's your vision for the church? And so this series is born out of that question of what's my vision for the church? And when I say my vision for the church, I'm not here today to give you like a crafted vision statement or I don't have goals and objectives or a five-year plan or any sort of like strategy that we're giving here. Rather, what I wanted to do is to take a few weeks here, take a month here, and just share with you some of the things that are important to me, how how I think as a pastor, the, the reason that I do some of the work that I do, some of the driving um, ideas that I have about, about ministry and, and why it is that I got into this work to begin with. And, and what is, I think, Jesus is calling every Christian to, the kind of work that we're all called to do together. And so the clearest place, really, you see this in the Bible, this, this call that we have together to, to serve the Lord and to do this together is, is the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And so we've been reading the same verses each week. This comes at the very end of the Gospel of Matthew, the last paragraph. This is after the cross, after the resurrection, the very last thing Jesus tells to his disciples. Uh, this is what we read, Matthew 28. It goes like this. It says, then the 11 disciples, 11 because Judas is now out of the picture, went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, that is the resurrected Lord, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And so we're taking this this, uh, passage of scripture and each week we're looking at it in just a a little different angle and pulling out an idea that we can can unpack and understand a little bit more clearly. And so if week one, we talked about this authority that Jesus has been given, all authority has been given to him. And and we talked about how this is the shorthand for really what we're talking about is the resurrection. Because of the empty tomb, all authority has been given to Jesus. And because the tomb is empty, therefore we are to go. 
The, the reason we exist as a church, the reason why we do what we do, the reason we make disciples is because of the empty tomb. The second week, last week, we talked about how this call was that we would go and make disciples of all nations, of everybody. That there's no one who's excluded from this invitation to be a disciple of Jesus and that our call is to go to everyone. That, that there's no one who's too far gone. There's no one who's hopeless. There's no one that we should pretend doesn't have a chance at this. There's no one who, who we're not called to go to. And as a church and as individuals, we are called to go to, to everyone because everyone is invited to, to come and share and experience this life that comes through Jesus Christ. And so today, we're going to drill down a really the, probably the most important phrase that's in the Great Commission, or at least the phrase that gets the most airplay. I mean, all these words are important here as we've been unpacking it, but, but this really gets down to the heart of what it is we're talking about. Week three here, the heart of what it is we're talking about, because we're going to unpack the, the two big words of the Great Commission, which is this, make disciples make disciples. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. So what does it mean to make disciples? My, my goal today is that we would work towards an understanding of what that means. And that together, we might work on some definitions and try to understand together. When we say this, make disciples, what is it that we're talking about? Because as a church, as Schweitzer, we have said that making disciples is part of who we are. Our mission statement, which is posted all over our building in lots and lots of places, is this transforming lives by, what is it? Making disciples of Jesus Christ. Like this is the mission that we have together. We have said this. I don't know when this mission statement was written. It has been here for a long time. This is who we are. This is in the DNA of the church that we are a church that is about making disciples. And virtually every church uses this phrase, make disciples to describe the work that they're to do, uh, that, that this is core of, of who we are. And so today we're going to talk about this. What does it mean to make disciples? What does it mean to make disciples? And to answer those, that question, we're going to ask Two more questions. So what does it mean to make disciples? Two more questions. Well, what is a disciple? And then how do you make one? I don't know if, like, I don't know what you do. Like, what's the recipe for making one of those things? So, so what is a disciple? What is a disciple? There is a temptation that when you hear this word disciple, to think disciple means Christian. But that's really not what the word means. Disciple doesn't really mean the word Christian. Uh, in the first century, when the New Testament was written, this word disciple is a very common thing. In fact, if you read through the New Testament, you see lots of different kinds of disciples. John the Baptist had disciples. The Pharisees had disciples. Jesus, of course, had disciples. And at the simplest level, what a disciple is, a disciple is a learner. But, but don't think classroom learner. Don't think like a group of 20 people taking notes about what the instructor is saying. That's not really what, what that means when I say learner. I mean more like, like an apprentice. A disciple is someone in the first century, the way that Jesus used the word and the way that the writers of the New Testament used the word, the, the disciple is somebody who is learning from someone else who's mastered something, like a skill or a trade, a, a way of doing things. Uh, one of my favorite authors, Dallas Willard, he just says a disciple is somebody who's learning to do what their master did. So when Jesus calls his disciples, he, he's teaching them to do the kinds of things Jesus himself did. He's teaching them to live in the kind of way that Jesus himself lived. And this is the purpose of, of being a disciple and what a disciple is. And so when we use this word making disciples, what we're trying to talk about are, are how do we make people, whatever that word make means, but how do we form people and develop people so that they begin to live their life as if Jesus was living their life? 
They begin to live their life and make the kinds of choices that Jesus would make if he was living their life. If Jesus had their job, or Jesus lived in their family, or if Jesus lived in their neighborhood, or Jesus went to their church. A disciple is somebody who's making the kinds of choices and treating people in the kind of way and living the kind of life that Jesus would live if Jesus were that person. That's really what a disciple is, someone who's learning to live as Jesus lived. So that's what a disciple is. So how do you make that? How do you make somebody learn to live as if Jesus was living their life? Well, to answer that, we're going to talk about verbs and participles. Who saw that turn coming? Anyone see that turn coming? Verbs and participles. High school English class. Who's excited for this? There's some grammar nerds who are here today who are real excited. We're going to talk grammar for just a moment. The Great Commission, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do everything I've commanded you. The New Testament, you'll remember, was written in Greek, not in English. And in Greek, there is really one verb that is in that sentence. Now, it sounds like there's more than one verb. A verb, of course, is an action. A verb is what you do. And there's one verb that's in that sentence, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And that one verb is this, make disciples. In the original Greek, that's one word, not two words, and it's, a, it's a, really a, a word that Matthew's made up. He's taken a noun that's a disciple, and then he made it into a verb like we do with Google. Google's a noun, and we turn it into a verb, and you do that. That's, that's what Matthew's done. Is he's taken a, a noun, he's turned it into a verb. It's one word, make disciples, and it's, it's the verb of the sentence. The other words that sound like verbs, go, baptize, and teach, those are actually participles. And think back, it's been a while for some of us since we've been in high school English class. High school English, you think about how a participle is something that describes a verb. Go, baptize, and teach are words that are meant to describe the verb make disciples. The verb make disciples is a, it's really a command, the way that it's written. It's a command to go do this. And how you do it then are the three participles we just read. Go make disciples. The recipe for how we make disciples is right there in the Great Commission. Three things. First, you go. This is what we talked about last week. We go. You're never going to make disciples. Never going to make disciples if we stay. You're never going to make disciples if you don't get out of what's comfortable for you. You never, you're never going to make disciples if you stay within your own friend group, if you stay within your own little circle of people. You're never going to make disciples if you're not someone who goes. And so the first thing Jesus says, if you're going to make disciples, you've got to be someone who goes. That's what we talked about. We go to everyone. There's no one who's excluded from this invitation to follow Jesus. And so if you're going to make disciples, you're somebody who goes, you initiate you form relationships. This is what disciple makers do. And you know why we do that? Because this is what Jesus did. And we're learning to live like Jesus lived. Think about it. Jesus shows up to James, to John, to Andrew, to Simon. What does he say to him? He says, come follow me. He initiates. He's not sitting back underneath the tree, sipping his coffee, waiting for them to come to him. He goes to them. This is what people do who make disciples. And so if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, meaning that you're going to live your life as if Jesus was living your life, you're also going to be someone who goes, who initiates, who forms relationships, who knocks on the door of your neighbor's house and gets to know them, that, that begins that process. You are somebody who takes action. That's what it means. Because that's what Jesus does. He takes action. And I sure am glad he did because Jesus took action in my life 
And therefore, I, I found him. And if he hadn't, I, I, I wouldn't have. And somebody else in my life took action. And therefore, I became a disciple because I was introduced to this way of life. And I bet there are people in your life who took action. And because they took action, they taught that Sunday school class when you were a kid, or they formed that relationship as you with you as an adult. Because they took action, you became a disciple. This is what disciples do. And this is how you make disciples. Step one, you go. The second part of this recipe says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptizing them. Baptism is our sacrament of initiation. Baptism implies that people who are far from God are being welcomed into the family. Baptism implies that people are making commitments to Jesus Christ. Baptism implies that people are being saved. Baptism implies that there's new faith that's being born, that there's new conviction, new, uh, new commitments to Jesus that are, that are being formed. This is what it implies, that if we are going to be disciple-makers... It's not just that we are disciple makers of other Christians, it's that we are disciple makers of those who are not yet here. And the third part of this recipe, though, is that we are teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And this third part of the recipe is so incredibly important because it teaches us a vital vital thing about what it means to make disciples. And it's, this is so important to me. I want to put on the screens. I think this is just a, such an important truth that when we say making disciples, what we are not saying is this. We're not saying that making, making disciples is not the same thing as making converts. So while we're talking about new faith commitments, like that's not the end of the story. And, and sometimes as we're talking about making disciples, it's easy to think because we're trying to like make Christians that we're thinking that this is just about getting people to, to pray some prayer or to come to church with us for the first time in their life, but it's, it's so much more than that. But it, but it becomes easy to start to think that what making disciples means is making converts. When I was in college, I worked at this church as an, as an intern for the summer, a 10-week internship. I was in the youth group. And so I, I got to go with this church to uh, church camp, which is one of my favorite things to do. In life. I love going to church camp. And we got to go to church camp, and that summer we went to church camp at a at a church camp that was of a different denomination. And in this denomination, this was a Methodist church that I was interning at. And in this denomination, uh, altar calls were a really big deal. And in case you're not familiar with that, that's where at the end of a sermon, an invitation is coming and you, you come forward and you give your life to Jesus. And, and I want to be really clear here. I, I have nothing against altar calls. I think they're sometimes they're like the most appropriate thing to do to, to make a commitment. But I also think there's other ways to respond to God than an altar call. That makes sense? That's where I'm at. And so now that summer camp, we, we go and, and the preacher that summer is, is preaching. And at the end of his sermon, he gives an invitation. And, and it's one of these things. Like, I want every head bowed, you know, every eye closed. So everyone, you know, closes their or eyes, bows their head. And, and then he leads, I want you to pray with me. And it's a, it's a sinner's prayer. It goes something like, you know, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And the way it goes is he says a line and then you say a line. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm a sinner. Forgive me my sin. Forgive me my sin. And that's how it goes. And, and then he says, now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want you to raise your hand. Now, I'll be honest with you, I didn't have my eyes closed. So I was looking around and uh, their hands went up, you know, all around the, the, the area and like all 20 of our Methodist church kids' hands went up. Wow, something's going on. It says, now if your hand is up in the air, I want you to stand up. So people stood up across the auditorium and like 20, all 20 of our kids stood up. And then finally he said, okay, if you're standing up, I want you to come forward. This is the altar call part. And all 20 of our kids came forward. And I was like, holy cow, hallelujah. God is at work here. There's like a great move of God that is happening. All 20 of our kids got saved. 
And so we go back to, to the service for the next night. Church camp has services every night. I go back to the next night and the preacher gives his invitation. He goes, every head bowed, every eye closed. I tell my eyes open. You know, pray this prayer, pray this prayer. Raise your hand, raise your hand. Stand up, stand up, and then come forward. All 20 of our kids went forward again. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, what is happening? So I pulled the kid aside. I said, what, what's going on? He goes, well, the preacher said to pray with him. So I prayed with him. And then the preacher said, if you prayed with that prayer, then you raise your hand. So I raised my hand. And then if you said, if your hand's raised to come, you know, stand up. So I stood up. And if you're standing up to come forward, and I realized, oh, this wasn't like a great move of God. This was just like, our kids are really good at following instructions. <laughs> like, it's really easy to make this disciple making all about making converts. But that's not the end. The end, our goal together is not just that we're going to pray some prayer together about accepting Jesus as our Savior, however important that is, and that is incredibly important. There's more to it than that. There's more to it than that. Jesus said, we're going to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. There is this, this whole life that we are introducing people to, and it's not just about the moment where you raise your hand or you stand up or you come forward. It's about also what happens after that. There's this incredible analogy that, that, that is used to describe this. It's an old analogy, easily 300 years old. John Wesley used to use this to describe the Christian life. Um, I've used it in lots of settings. And if you ever want to share your faith with someone, I've actually used this analogy to share my faith with people to describe the Christian life with them. But, but the analogy goes like this. Uh, imagine your uh, life with God is like a house. And uh, in this house, there's a front porch. And uh, sometimes with your life with God, uh, there was a moment before you trusted in, in Christ. There was a moment before you believed. There was a time before you believed and had a relationship with God. And, and that part of your life is like being on the front porch of this house. And uh, if you look back after you believe and you look back in like retrospect to those times before you believed when you're on the front porch of your house, uh, there's probably moments or people or thoughts that you can point to to say, wow, God was at work in my life and I didn't even realize it. Like there was that person who had that conversation with me or, or I was beginning to have these, these ideas that maybe God existed or for me, I grew up in the church and I can point to Sunday school leaders and youth group leaders who had conversations with me that were leading me along and I didn't even realize it, but God was at work in my life. And, and, and so you can point back to this time and say, I remember how when I was on the front porch of this house, like God was still involved in my life, even though I wasn't aware of it yet. And uh, what happens is that while we're on the front porch of our house, uh, we're, we're um, approaching the Lord, but, and he's guiding us. We don't really understand it or, or aware of it yet. There's a temptation that a lot of people at their life with God stops right there. Like they, they stop on the front porch. And I have conversations with people who goes like this. People will say something like, you know, I, I believe in God. And what they mean is, I believe that God exists. It's not that I have a, like a relationship with God, but I believe that God exists. And maybe they even go to church two or three times a year, but they believe that God exists. And, and, and what that is like is like living on the front porch. It's, it's like you, you bought the house and you hired the movers and the, the truck backed into the driveway and you're like, all right, boys, just unload it right here in the front porch. I'm just gonna live here. Let's put the TV over here. We'll put the couch you know, along the windows, we'll put the chairs right here. We'll put the bed in the driveway. We're just going to live right here. And th this is what a lot of people end up with because they like, I believe in God, but it's not like I actually trust God. I don't actually have a relationship with God and, and it becomes a stopping point. And so in this metaphor, this analogy of the house, a lot of people end 
right there with just being on the front porch. But there becomes a moment in time where in this house that, that is your life, there comes a moment in time where you um, cross from going on the front porch and you walk into the foyer. And there's a, there's a moment that, that something happens where you, you cross a threshold and it's no longer that you believe that God exists, but, but now you actually trust God. You have a relationship with God. You've put your faith in him. And, and what's, what's happened is you've crossed the threshold of the front door. There's been a moment where something happened, where your faith became alive and you crossed into the threshold. And now because you've, you're on the inside of the house, you see everything differently because you're not looking through the windows, imagining what it looks like. You're actually seeing what it looks like and, and you're there. You've crossed that line of faith. And this is what some people would call like being saved or some people might call this being born again. When I was a kid, I learned it as um, inviting Jesus to live in your heart, which sidebar, it's a weird thing to say. Back to it. <laughs> That's that moment where you where you cross the line of faith and you, and you believe and you trust and, and, and you're found in Christ. Now, I shared that analogy with a friend one time who was exploring Jesus. And uh, this is someone who was being drawn to Jesus, but they didn't really know where they believed. And so I shared this analogy with, with my friend and she says, um, she said, oh, this is so helpful because I realize that I'm on the porch. And then, and then she said, I wanna walk through the front door. And what she said next, like blew me away because of how perceptive she was. I just, I couldn't believe she picked up on this because she said, but if I walk through the front door and what we mean here is if I have faith and, and choose to believe, she said, I don't wanna walk through the front door and then just sit down because that's what I see a lot of people doing. Like blown away by that perception. This is what a lot of Christians do. We've got the line of faith that we've drawn and and we've got that prayer that we pray or maybe we come forward at the altar call or whatever it is. We've got that line that we've drawn and, and we cross the line of faith and then like, oh, that's good. We, we've made it. We, we're, we're good now. Like I've got my card that gets me out of hell. I'm perfect. This is, we're good to go. But that's not what disciple making is. Because what, this, what, this, what my friend of mine, what she picked up on was that there's so much more after you've crossed the line. After you've crossed through the front door, there's, there's a whole house that you get to move into now. And that's where this analogy keeps going is that for the rest of your life, you're going to start putting paint on walls and moving the couch and hanging up the TV and putting pictures on the walls. And you're gonna start putting rugs on the floor as every room of the house is gonna slowly be put to order. You see, salvation isn't, isn't just this moment of crossing the line. Making disciples isn't just this moment of crossing the line. It's not, it's not that our work together is just to get people to raise their hand and pray a prayer together. That's, that's not the extent of what we're trying to do. That's not the end goal of what it means to make disciples. What we want to do is we want to teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. We want to teach people to, to live in this fullness of life that Jesus has brought. We want to introduce people to this way of living where the rest of their life is going to be put to order as, as Jesus is slowly taking more and more lordship of our life, more and more control of our life. This is this work that we have of, of making disciples. And so you might ask, well, Spencer, okay, what's your vision for the church? Well, my vision for the church would, would be pretty simple, really. Um, I think Jesus is calling us to make disciples. I think that means that we have to go. 
I, I, I think that means that we have to get uncomfortable. I think that means that we have to build relationships with people who aren't here yet. I think that means we have to seek people out. I think that means that we have to go to our neighborhoods, to our workplaces, to our family, to our friends, that we have to be people who carry this message to other people, that we have to take initiative. I think that's what that means. I think that means that we're gonna have to sometimes sacrifice our own, our own desires in order to reach more people. I think that's what that means, that we have to be uncomfortable at times. I think it means that we're gonna baptize people, that we're gonna share this good news and they're gonna be included in this work that God is doing, that they're gonna cross the front door of the house and we're gonna be able to, to share this good news with them as they have putting their faith in Jesus Christ. But, but I also think it means that we get to help people live in the fullness of what God has for them for the rest of their life. That this is an ongoing process that is never done because God is never done with you. God is never done with you. Doesn't mean, doesn't matter if you've been following him for a day or for 50 years, he still has work that he wants to do in your life, in my life and in our life together. This work of making disciples, it is never done. This is why it's the core of our mission that we would always be making disciples, always be teaching people to live in the fullness of what God has for them. And so in some ways, you know what I would say my vision is? Is that we would make disciples. And because they're disciples, they're learning to live like Jesus would live if Jesus was living their life. And so therefore, when we make disciples, um, they go make disciples. And they go make disciples. And they go make disciples. And they go make disciples, and they go make disciples, and we make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. Because as we do this together, all of us have a role to play. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you have a role to play. If you are a disciple of Jesus, you're going to start doing the kinds of things Jesus did. This is what you're learning how to do, and what Jesus wants to do in your life is he wants to use you to make disciples. This is the beginning, at least, of, of my vision, is that together— and individually, we would make disciples. Because I can tell you what, if Jesus were part of our church, that's what he would be doing, is he would be making disciples. And so friends, I'm excited to think through what and how is the Lord gonna use us to go, to baptize, bring people into relationship with him, and to grow and to develop, that no matter where we are at in our life, whether we are brand new to faith or we have been following Jesus for decades, he is going to continue to grow us to become more and more and more like him. Therefore, go and make disciples of everyone, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Let's pray. And so, Lord, today I give you thanks that you are calling all of us to this work of disciple-making. That every single one of us who, 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 are, who is a disciple of you, that every single one of us who's put our faith in you and decided to follow you and to learn from you, that you are wanting to use us in our life to make disciples. That you're wanting to use our church to make disciples to invite people into a life that's lived with Jesus, a life that's lived in relationship with you, a life that is continually growing in you and towards you and for you. And so, Lord, would you forgive us of the ways that we have failed to go? Forgive us for the ways that we have chosen comfort over being sent. Forgive us for the ways that we have not wanted to risk awkward conversations because 
Because instead of sharing this, this good news that you've given us of the empty tomb and the life that we found with you, forgive us for the ways that we have failed to do this. And God, would you inspire us and fill us with your Holy Spirit? Give us eyes to see the ways that we can use our lives, the ways that you want to use our lives to make disciples of everyone. I thank you that you have a plan for us here, a plan that, that each of us has a role to play in this work of making disciples. In the name of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord, we pray. Amen.